Welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? You ever see a fly get trapped in the coffee pot? Sure, some folks say it adds flavor and protein, but the emotion that fly goes through before perishing leaves a scar on that coffee pot. And sometimes, that fly comes back from beyond to haunt your cappuccino. That reminds me of a particular story, actually. One I heard not too long ago. A story about a generator mechanic, a deadly blizzard, and something dark that came back. Enjoy this tale from the break room. Burning from Robert S. I work as a generator mechanic in a rural part of California, deep in the Sierras at the edge of the Tahoe Forest. People tend to think of California as all beaches and Hollywood, but the reality is that's just two major cities, which are surrounded by thousands of miles of rural countryside. With wildfires and severe snowstorms being a regular occurrence, generators are a big part of life around here, and my work revolves around keeping those machines running, which often requires being on call during emergencies. Last winter, a massive storm hammered the Sierras for days on end, and the calls were steadily coming in. It was a variety of typically expected equipment failures and the usual ridiculous questions, but this wasn't a typical snowstorm. Most locals describe the heavy snowfall and high winds as something they hadn't seen in these mountains in over 40 years. My company only employs a small crew of technicians and electricians, but our trucks are outfitted to respond under all kinds of conditions, as our services are often required when the weather is particularly nasty. Even with the proper gear and vehicles, we were all having to spend tremendous effort just to stay on the road, assuming we could even see them. Falling trees became background noise, punctuating the roaring wind with the occasional thunderclap of breaking wood, followed shortly by the heavy thud that could even be felt through our frozen work boots. The whole crew had met in the shop that morning to attend what had become daily emergency meetings. The usual topics were covered while we refueled chainsaws, loaded portable generators, and prepared for another day battling the elements to get as many people's power back online as we could, or at least able to run their home generators until power could be restored. Large maps of the surrounding areas had been hastily hung up on the walls to keep track of which roads were completely blocked, where the power crews had been, and where they were going to be working next, along with locations of emergency stations for fuel, medical aid, and warming shelters. I was studying these maps while changing out a worn chain on my saw, making notes on some of the new emergency frequencies we'd be using to communicate during the crisis. Cell phone coverage had gone from spotty to nearly non-existent during the storm, forcing us to rely on the radios mounted in the trucks. And remember, called out the boss man as we prepared to leave for the day, always check all the way around a downed tree before moving anything from your path to reach a client's home. We don't need another incident like Tuesday. Good luck, stay safe. Our community needs you all to be able to come back to work. He was referring to an incident a few days back when a tech had tried to move a large fallen tree from across the road and had apparently been electrocuted when he hooked his winch to a tree, which had been lying on top of a live power line. He survived thanks to the fall alarm on our radios, sending out a distress signal whenever they're laid on their side for more than a few minutes. 
Rescue crews found him lying in the snow by his truck. Both he and the vehicle had sustained extensive burns. He was okay, but was still in the ICU. Due to the combination of his injuries, being frostbite and burns, he had been put under heavy sedation for the time being, but he was expected to pull through. Lucky me, today I was going to be working the calls in his area. I pulled on my snowcap with a built-in LED headlamp that my wife had bought me, pulled my heavy coat tight around my body, and climbed into the cab of my truck. Already warmed up, I dropped into four wheels and started what I thought would be just another day at the office. Eight hours flew past as I went about my calls. Pretty common issues. A tight valve here and a bad mixer there. Some electrical troubleshooting. Most everyone I could get to was unbelievably grateful. Some offered tip money, bottles of wine, and even a steak from a cattle rancher that I happily accepted, despite our company policy of not accepting tips. But hey, these were extenuating circumstances, and some folks just won't take, sorry it's against policy, for an answer. Plus, I'm not one to shy away from a good steak, policy or not. I had just finished up my last call and had begun my staging part of the day. Staging is when all the scheduled calls are done, and we have a minute before the emergency calls can be routed to our devices. The interior of the truck is busy looking, crammed full of all the additional accessories we carry around while working emergencies. Cell phone chargers and battery banks plugged into charging ports, radios and docking stations across the dash. A pile of defective or broken parts filled the passenger seat, accompanying the daunting pile of service manuals, tools, bags, and field equipment. I cracked my window as I finished my lunch-slash-dinner, and I lit a cigarette, watching the loading bar on my laptop get to almost full. Then the latest set of emergency calls were brought in. As the pinwheel finally moved again, a new set was uploaded, just as the last of the dim light of day faded away. I looked at the clock on my phone. It was only 5pm. Three more calls. I take a deep breath and sigh heavily. A 12-hour day again. Well, at least I'm making good overtime, I thought. The next call was a no-start on a home generator, and from the notes, it sounded like an easy one, probably just a lack of maintenance. Mentally, I ran through the usual suspects. I'd be out of there in no time. I mentally slapped myself for even thinking that, because while I'm not a believer in much in the way of superstition, I am firm in my confidence that Murphy's Law is very, very real. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. In my experience, at the end of the day, a plan is just a list of things that didn't happen. I laugh out loud to myself, then stop to touch the pendant I wear around my neck. St. Jude, the patron saint of lost causes in desperate situations. I say to myself, Oh well, here we go. And I start to drive to the next job site. The location of this next site was pretty remote, even for these parts. As I made my way around the winding narrow road, I slowly passed the spot where our injured mechanic had his accident. I'm not a particularly religious or spiritual person, but Catholicism has a way of permeating, so I crossed myself and sent out a good thought to the poor guy and his family, hoping whatever powers that be are looking after him, or at least taking some mercy upon him. I mean, geez. This guy was only doing his job, no different than the rest of us. 
Soon I arrived at the house, which honestly I can't really make out. The level of snow was obscuring the common details I would use to prejudge the situation I was stepping into. Are they older folks and this is their vacation home? Or are they locals who have lived here for decades and finally had to call a repairman because they exhausted all their own attempts to fix the problem? Whatever the case, I threw on my hat with the company logo, donned my shining reflective safety vest, and trudged my way to the front door. The couple that answered the door were obviously in their later years, but they seemed homely and sweet. The husband explained he had tried everything he could think of to, to use his phrase, get her fired up, but it was to no avail. He was a short and stocky man, wider than I was, and comported himself as a man who had done hard work all his life. He had a thick, dark mustache and hard-set eyes, which told me he was a hard-working individual who wasn't at all happy about having to call an outsider in to fix his problem. At first, he attempted to follow me out into the dark, cold night to assist me, but after some coaxing from his wife, who shot me a worried glance, then seemed to check to see where the lights of my truck were pointed, she convinced her husband to stay inside and let the man do his work. He gave her a look that I can honestly only place as gratitude and grumbled his way back into the house to sit by the fire. I noted in that moment that the house itself was well lit with candles and battery-powered lights. Even the exterior was lit up. I was grateful for the wife telling him to leave me to my work. I can appreciate it when people want to learn how to fix things, but this wasn't the time. It's a lot easier to do my job without a watchdog lurking over my shoulder and offering unhelpful advice. Frankly, I've always worked better when left alone. After spending some time digging the generator out of its snow prison with only the headlights of my truck to guide me, I set to work on the diagnosis. I grabbed my impact driver from my tool bag and took the valve cover off. I was confident that this would be an easy fix and I would be on my way shortly. After one valve adjustment down, I was ready to start the motor. Just then, an error code popped up. Identification error. I stared at it for a moment, then looked to the sky to say, well, screw you then. Great, now I had to update the software. It's not hard to do, just time-consuming, as it starts with an 800-second countdown before the update can take hold. When you're outside in the snow after dark, those are 800 very long seconds. I fumbled around in my pockets, and after some false starts, I got my flash drive plugged into the machine and began the process. Because, well, you never get the USB right the first time. The timer began. I was standing in the cold, roaring wind, the display being the only source of light aside from my tiny flashlight. I make an executive decision to have a smoke while I wait. Normally, the company discourages any smoking on site, but I figured they aren't coming outside to yell at me anytime soon. So I lit up a smoke that I knew the wind was mostly going to smoke for me, but at this point, who cares? Only 758 seconds to go, I thought. I trudge over to the electrical panel to see what circuits will go on first. It's odd. Most people will put the well water or maybe the AC as the first system but these people set the sodium perimeter lights as the first priority. Odd, but not all that odd, I suppose. After all, what uses anything else if you can't see what you're doing? And with all the wildlife roaming around in this part of the county, like bears, mountain lions, and the like, 
It makes sense if you have any kind of livestock or house cats, or, you know, small children. I turned the headlights off in my truck as I no longer needed them for shoveling, and why risk a dead battery way out here at this time of night? Another 554 seconds to go. Rather abruptly, the wind died down. It just stopped. I was grateful. Thank God, I said out loud to myself. I might finally be coming to the part of the night when the snow just gently falls instead of tiny ice missiles blasting my face all night. I unbuttoned the collar of my coat and shook my beard free. I kept working on my smoke as the countdown continued. I pushed my heavy hood, laden with snow, off my head for a break from the oppressive weight, and only then did I notice it. I noticed just how silent the area around me had become. The storm had been such a constant source of white noise that at first it felt welcome, a relief to have a break from the overbearing roar of sharp wind. That relief was short-lived, and a real feeling of dread began to set in. Silence in the woods is something mountain folk know better than to trust. There's no way to describe it unless you've felt it. Any hiker or hunter can tell you when everything goes quiet, it means a large predator is close by hiding in the shadows or perched in the trees above, and you would do well to be very aware of your surroundings, and if possible, carefully make your exit. I began scanning the tree line around me, and I almost immediately saw something moving just out of sight range. I squinted hard to try and make out the shape. The occasional brazen deer and other mostly harmless wildlife had been successful in scaring the daylights out of me in the past when I was least expecting them, so I told myself this was probably just a buck, albeit a big one, moving through. But as I stared into the darkness of the forest, trying to make out the shape of the creature in the shadows, I began to realize something. This was not a single creature. There were multiple creatures, moving about behind the trees, just out of visibility. A herd of deer, maybe. Anxious, I glanced at the countdown, 345 seconds to go. Remember when I said 800 seconds could feel a lot longer? I had a sick feeling growing in my stomach, an instinct that something was horribly wrong, something dangerous. I stayed perfectly still as the shapes moved closer. I don't have the words to describe just how they moved from tree to tree, sticking to the dark patches, and as they moved closer, I was able to see them in better detail which didn't make things any less terrifying. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. 
With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As they approached and their shapes became easier to make out, they seemed like human figures for sure. Some tall, some short, almost like a whole group of people. But they couldn't be people, not out here in the woods in this weather. They certainly weren't deer. Their movement was shyly aggressive. They began to remind me of coyotes stalking a potential prey. 115 seconds left. I couldn't make out any detail yet. They all seemed to be cloaked in darkness that remained wrapped around them like a shadow, but darker, unnatural. I told myself not to panic. I'd been working double shifts for days. I was exhausted, and the contrast of snow in the dark can play tricks on your eyes. I tried to tell myself I was just sleep-deprived, that I was just working myself up. But as the figures grew closer, that got difficult to convince myself of. I didn't want to take my eyes off of them, but I needed to plot out the best route back to my truck. Problem was, the truck was parked next to the barn, and where I was working on the generator, I was shrouded in shadow from the lights coming out of the windows of the house. Only 30 seconds now. The creatures seemed to fan out. It began to feel as if they were all around me, and they were swiftly closing the distance. I held my breath and took a few steps back, putting my back against the wall of the barn. I exhaled sharply as the fear I'd been holding back shot up from my gut like a shot of electricity. My back to the wall, my eyes darted from figure to figure, and that lizard part of my brain kicked in. I dropped my smoke to free both hands, and I distinctly remember hearing it hiss angrily as it made contact with the snow. I felt sweat beginning to bead on my temples, despite the freezing temperature. The muscles in my leg tightened, and I could feel the veins in my head pulsing, pushing blood past my ears and a steady thumping roar that mercifully blocked out the awful sound of the complete silence of the snow. Everything seemed to slow down and speed up all at once, and with all hope of reaching the truck in time gone, I lifted my arms to block my face and squeezed my eyes tightly shut, bracing for impact. Then... I heard it. I heard the click of the generator. It had finished its update and was now starting to sputter to life. The engine cranked so loudly I had to cover my ears, and in that moment, despite not putting much stock in prayer, I genuinely prayed that it would start, and maybe someone heard me, because it did just that. With a cough and sputter, the engine came up to speed and began to purr, and with an audible snap, the transfer switch began to power on all the outside lights to the house. I sucked in air. I apparently had stopped breathing. The nervous tension in my chest broke as relief washed over me. I opened my eyes. I wish to this day that I never had. The lights came on slowly at first, a dim orange-pink glow bathing the scene around me a sickening hue. Eyes attempting to adjust to the new level of visibility, I leaned forward squinting to see if the figures were, in fact, just figments of my imagination. A consequence of exhaustion. Too many days in crisis mode. 
I was wrong. As the lights began to chase away the darkness around me, the figures did not disappear with it. Once completely clad in darkness, they were now revealed, and they were very real. The light washed away the obfuscation around them, like wind blowing away ash. My mind tried to slog through the adrenaline dump and process just what it was seeing. They were just people. Men, women, and children. People, not creatures, not predators. My emotional brain breathed a sigh of relief because, hey, it's okay, they're just, they're just people. Meanwhile, my logical brain was grabbing the wheel and screaming at me. Something's wrong. Pay attention. My eyes finally caught up. I looked them over, trying to understand what I was seeing. They gazed back at me in silence. Then it dawned on me, and I felt the blood draining out of my face. The clothes. They hung oddly off their bodies, and they were not intended for winter weather, much less a record-breaking snowstorm. Their clothes were ill-fitting and had the look of something homemade. Dirty overalls, hand-sewn pants, prospector hats, and was that a bonnet? They just stood there staring at me, silent as the snowfall, and completely still. Zero seconds left, full power. The sodium perimeter lights kicked on, bathing the entire property in sharp, relentless light, blinding me. My eyes fought to make the transition from straining in the blackness to being bombarded with the sudden illumination. When the light hit the strange people in front of me, they changed. It was like the light itself ripped through them, and I gaped in horror, unable to believe what was happening. All the people standing before me, men, women, and children, began to scream. These were no human screams. The shrill sound pierced my ears and reverberated through my core. It sounded like true agony coming from deep underwater. I covered my ears to block out the chilling sound, but my eyes remained fixed on the nightmare unfolding. Their clothes simply ripped away from them, as if scorched off by a fire I could not see, and their flesh began to burn away as well, tearing away from them, ripping into fluttering ashes of red-hot agony. They stood in place, writhing and burning in agony for what should have been only a single second. Then they turned their contorted faces directly toward me. Their eyes. I'll never in all my days forget their eyes. Jaundiced and sick. Human but filled with pure hate and rage. The one that had been closest to me fell to its knees and began to crawl towards me, its movements convulsing in torment and anguish. I fell backwards, landing hard on a landscaping rock. With pain shooting through my body, I scrambled to scoot backwards on my butt. The ghoulish figure stretched a smoldering hand out, and I gasped out loud as it grabbed a hold of my foot, its grip too strong to escape. Lifting its head with a tremendous effort, it stared into my eyes, filled with fury but almost pleading. Then it opened its gaping mouth to speak, and the words that shot from its mouth went right through me, haunting me for the rest of my life. With an expression of pure torture, it screamed, Get the children! I watched paralyzed as the light finally overtook the wretched creature, and it faded, crumbling into ash, blowing away in the crisp night breeze. I was left there alone in the snow, my pounding heart beating right out of my chest 
I looked down and noticed smoke wafting up from my boot. Suddenly, I felt searing pain in my toes, like the steel toe of my boot was on fire. Pain is a funny thing, makes you forget absolute terror, at least for a moment. It jolted me out of my shocked stupor, and I reached down and unlaced my boot as fast as I could, tossing it into the gleaming snow. It sizzled for a second, like my cigarette had a lifetime ago, then began to sink into the widening hole around it in the snowbank. As I jammed my foot into the nearest drift to soothe the searing sensation, all the lights in the entire house popped back on, and I heard a sound coming up behind me to my left. Oh no, the family. They were no longer safely inside, and since I had butt-scooted far enough toward my truck, I could now see the entrance to the home. The husband, wife, and two children had emerged. A boy, maybe around 13, and a girl that looked around 5. They all stood on the porch, holding firearms, even the girl, peering out into the night. After what felt like an eternity, I stood, and feeling suddenly sheepish, I gathered my boot from where it had been thrown. I had no explanation for what just happened, but I tried my best to collect myself. I looked down at my discarded work boot and saw something that, again, I cannot explain. A handprint seared into the leather, where whatever that was had placed its hand upon me. I slipped it back on and gathered my composure. I was still on the clock and my professionalism overpowered my shock and disbelief at what had just happened. Climbing back into the cab of my truck, I located my clipboard and smoothed out the work order. I have no idea why I chose to do this. I think I just needed some sense of order. I clicked my pen and wrote a concise description of the work I performed. Having still not laced the offending boot, and with little stabs of pain causing a slight limp, I awkwardly made my way back onto the porch, the family having apparently retreated back into the house while I focused on my paperwork. I rang the now operational doorbell, and the husband quickly answered. Get it all worked out? He watched me closely, an inquisitive look on his face. I tried to steady the trembling in my voice, and I replied, Yes, sir, she's back up and running. He eyed me intently, searching my face for something, but I was all business. Hell of a thing you guys do. Not just anyone would come all the way up here to fix something in this kind of storm. I cleared my throat. <clears> throat> we try our best, sir. I answered and finally sounded like myself, going through my standard lines. He continued to study me, which would normally make me uncomfortable, but I was too spent to care. Why don't you stay here tonight? We've got a nice couch to put you on, and the roads behind you are closed and well. He hesitated, contemplating for a second. Well, he just did us a real big favor, and we'd like to repay you. Come on in, we'll make you some coffee. You're probably frozen to the bone working out here. I faked a gracious smile, anxious to get as far away from here as possible. I appreciate that, sir, but I'll have to pass. I've got more calls tonight. The man snorted, gesturing out behind them at the snow which had begun to dump again, already covering my footprints from the truck to the porch. You ain't getting to them tonight, my friend. Don't be stupid, you're gonna freeze to death. Come on in, let's get you in some dry clothes. He opened the door behind him and reached for my arm to pull me inside, 
refusing to take no for an answer, but I stepped sideways and just barely skirted his grip. I appreciate the offer, I really do, but power's out all across town. I have more people out there shivering in the dark that need me. He finally gave up, nodding in defeat and holding out his hand. I take it, give him a nod, and quickly return to my truck to check the weather forecast and wind map on my laptop. The wind map gives those in the field a kind of reference point for where the storm is the worst. Right where the incident occurred on the south side of the property, there was a huge black spot of no wind. It was moving. Whatever it was that had reached out that night wasn't just a random occurrence. It was out there, moving like a living storm within a storm. I grabbed my phone out of my jacket pocket, and I looked at the next call. The next one was along this road and right in this path. Right then, a call came on my work phone. They had figured it out for themselves, thankfully. Call cancelled. Okay, I thought to myself, I've had enough of this for one night. Time to go home. I had them sign a work order and took off down the road. The delirium of adrenaline had worn off, leaving me in a bizarre state of almost finding the events humorous. I laughed to myself, saying out loud, What was that? I'm used to working under extreme circumstances, but this felt more urgent than anything I'd ever done. I wound my way back down the long, snow-covered road. Once back on the main road, I gathered myself, trying to make sense of what happened. But that proved fruitless. So I just radioed in to the home office, stating that I was taking the truck home and I'd be dispatching from home tomorrow. They confirmed and thanked me for all my hard work tonight, saying, Hey, take the day off tomorrow if you need some rest. I agreed to that offer and immediately headed to the nearest liquor store that was still operational. Securing my liquid therapy for the night, I began to head home down much more familiar and comfortable roads. I pulled into my driveway. I immediately poured a drink from my bottle of whiskey, then another. I went inside and was suddenly overcome with gratitude. I was home safe. It didn't take too much effort to get the fire going again, too. I settled down with my bottle and a small dinner, plugging my laptop into the TV. I ate and drank in silence as I watched that black spot move through the storm until exhaustion and bourbon overcame me. By morning, it was gone. I never got a real explanation for the events of that night, but a few months later I was working around the same area, and I got into a conversation with a client around there. He was a retired land surveyor and spent his retirement locating old mining towns that had been lost to history. He told me that a small mining town had once been somewhere in this area, and he'd been able to locate some piles of stones and a few outlines of the old structures of said town. According to his research, the town had a small schoolhouse church and a few houses. Records of the time were mostly gone except one. He showed it to me. It was an old weathered newspaper article that talked about a fire that had broken out in the church. Being there was no such thing as a fire department, the entire town was said to have been lost to that fire. As he showed me the topographical map of where he found the remnants, I recalled the last place I'd seen the black spot on the wind map. It was an identical match. I think now I know what happened to the people that lived there. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast 
featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.